Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Bloomin' And we are here today to continue our Oscars uh, watch fest. Uh, we are here to talk about the Fablemans and Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, Corin, where would you like to start? Uh, let's talk about the Fablemans. Very well. Uh, so the Fablemans was uh, written and directed by Steven Spielberg, as well as uh, in collaboration with his standard writing partner, Tony Kushner. The film stars Michelle Williams, Gabriel LaBelle, and Paul Dano. Uh, the film had an estimated budget of $40 million and a worldwide gross thus far of $25 million. So quite the disappointment box office-wise, but it is still uh, in its theatrical run. So who knows? Maybe it'll receive new life if it has a promising award season. Uh, I don't anyway. think Steven Spielberg is worried about movie gross at this point. No. Uh, the tagline is capture every moment. That's nice. Quaint. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, are talking, we are talking about the film because it is currently nominated for seven Oscars. It is nominated for Best Achievement in Directing for Steven Spielberg, Best Motion Picture of the Year. For Steven Spielberg, Tony Kushner, and Christy McCosco Krieger. Best achievement in music written for motion pictures for John Williams. He now is the oldest Oscar nominated person ever, I believe. And he's on Oscar nomination, like, I don't know, 73 at this point. Uh, best performance by an actress in a leading role for Michelle Williams. Best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Judd Hirsch. Best original screenplay for Spielberg and Kushner. And best achievement in production design. For Rick Carter and Karen O'Hara, um, I'll I'll start on this one. Oh, sorry, the film is about growing up in post World War II era Arizona. Young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. Like I said, I'll I'll, I'll start off with this one. Corbin can start on the next one. Um, figured i'd wrangle this one first i i went into this with the lowest of expectations um not the kind of expectations i went in to with avatar which we had talked about a couple weeks ago um a film that i genuinely hated the first one and was not looking forward to re-entering that world wasn't looking forward to the runtime like it wasn't so much about that as it was just like you reach a point where the films that market themselves in the most navel-gazy, masturbatory, Oscar-bait kind of way just become grating to have to get through. So I was very reluctant to, I don't know, actually watch this, despite the fact that, like, I like Judd Hirsch. I like Paul Dano. I'm good with Michelle Williams. I love Steven Spielberg. Um you could not have more accurately uh, described my feelings towards all of those actors. Uh, I'm okay with Michelle Williams. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Please I have continue. thoughts thoughts about her performance. Um, but anyway, I will say I walked away from this enjoying it a lot more than I was expecting. A lot of the jokes worked for me, which I wasn't expecting really much comedy at all. Uh, I thought the tone and timbre of the film was done excruciatingly well. In addition to the pacing, I do think that there are some hard, hard navel gazy moments. And the overall theme of the film is really hard to move past when your uh, your thesis is look how great movies are and how they even I've made films, but films made me. That's tough. Uh, That's real tough. It's not the most interesting thing in the world, but the film is executed so well in so many of its other phases. I really didn't mind it. Uh, there are moments that take you back to the, the groaning of, Ugh. but by and large, the it, it moves itself along. It doesn't take itself too seriously for like eighty percent of it. Um, and it's Spielberg, so all of the performances you see, by and large, work very well. The film is shot beautifully. The dialogue is is 
punchy enough. Again, I wasn't expecting to laugh at all. I had a few, I had a few pretty good laughs here. I gotta say, I did um, too. Interested in talking about it? Tell me, uh, tell me your initial thoughts. I, I honestly, I don't know the last time this has happened with us, but I don't. I you perfectly encapsulated every talking point I was going to bring up. I agree with every single point, and that's everything I was going to say. I expected very little outside of it being a Steven Spielberg movie. I have to say, I thought 90% of the actors were just incredibly charismatic in the role that they had. I thought that it like it was a Steven Spielberg movie that I knew was Spielberg going into it, which we can talk about later, which you have to have a bar, you know, an expectation of excellence in, in just the quality of filmmaking. And even that shocked me at times of just that, like looking at scenes and I assume this is just because of the, the frame of reference, like what this was discussing and what, what the scenes were about where watching it like, Oh wow. I would not ever expect that level of quality detail, you know, craftsmanship and something about this, but Holy crap. I don't know why I'm shocked by this. This is perfect. Um, but I do very much agree that, yeah, like as well crafted and as fun as this movie can be, I get why you wrote it because it's your fucking life. But man, your life isn't always like a really great story. Like, don't get me wrong. It it had its moments. It had its campy bits, both literally and figuratively, I suppose. Um, but boy, yeah, Michelle Williams. You were in a lot of it. Um, I thought the young Steven Spielberg character, Sammy, um, he's probably the first time I've seen like a young actor since like Timothy Chalamet and just been like, wow, he's really good at this. I don't know how old he is, but I assume. The one who played the the majority of the film, the high school. Yeah, one. yeah. Yeah. I it suppose funny, young, young Sammy is bad when that is the oldest version of him we see, but. It, it was funny how when you get to the high school portion, because up until then, like you're just looking at a rather fit, very good looking uh, yeah. young Jewish guy. And you're like, oh, OK, Spielberg is playing himself hot. But then you get to to high school and everyone treats him like this, like nebbishy little Schmendrick. And you're like, oh, oh, you're supposed to be a dork. You're gorgeous. So While being surrounded by like straight up Soviet propaganda looking motherfuckers. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to think about the best way. All right. So I guess let's start high level. It's a biopic. That's not quite a biopic. It's a biopic in that huge sections of this film are based off of Steven Spielberg's life, though. With the, uh, there are apparently certain discrepancies there within that keep prevent it from being a hundred percent a biopic. Where in those lies? Their last name is the Fablemans and not Spielberg. That's a big one. However, the the film that uh, Sammy Fableman makes uh, in the movie is Steven Spielberg's first movie. If you go to Steven Spielberg's uh, like IMDb page and you look at his uh, directing credits and just go all the way down to the bottom, uh, the first movie, sorry, the third movie, I should say, is uh, Escape to Nowhere, which is which is name checked in the film. The two movies preceding it, Last Gun and Fighter Squad, I uh, would assume are two of the other films that are brought up in in this film. Uh, you can also see in 1968, he directed Amblin, which is a short film that ultimately became his production company, Amblin uh, Production Company, which makes these types of movies. Anyway, um, so that's the scope in which it operates. It's an interesting kind of setup for a, a biopic, though, in that because like what you said at a certain point like your life isn't very interesting and that reminded me of uh of ray right because if you ever watched the 2004 film ray about ray charles it details his life from like birth to his like i don't know like late 20s early 30s or so and then it just kind of ends and the reason it just kind of ends is because the filmmakers were like well after he kicked his heroin habit the rest of his life was just being great Charles. Yeah, it's like that, which isn't a bad thing. Like, if if you're one of the most influential musicians in music fucking history, <laughs> um, and 
you lived to a very ripe old age after kicking a heroin habit, your life deserves to be boring. Like that that's absolutely acceptable. But it, it also gave the the film a, a, an appropriate point to cut out. And this film, it's like it stops right when I want it to start. Not that I didn't enjoy the ride up until you meet John Ford, which, by the way, my favorite Great. part of the movie was David Lynch. Yeah. I did not know he was going to be in the movie. And when he came on screen, I basically slapped Kelly across the face. and was like, there's David fucking Lynch. Um, um, I would, Quinn came in late and started watching around that point. And when he goes into the office and they start panning around all of the movie posters, like implicating, you know, oh, this is Tom Ford. Um, Tom Ford? John Tom Ford. Ford. Tom Ford, Tom is the Ford makes director. suits. Yeah. Or, sorry. The cl- yeah. You know what I meant? Clothing director. Um, she's like oh who is it supposed to be and i was like oh wait wait fuck no what ah uh. and then like right at the end it showed it she's like oh is it john ford i'm like you you make this is like all i had for this movie was like this one moment of like showing i know something and i failed oh when i was a kid my dad had the john wayne john ford box set so I grew up watching those two duo, that duo's films. Started with Stagecoach. Uh, she wore a, a yellow ribbon. Uh, Searchers. Yeah. Searchers is movies. like my favorite John Wayne movie. Um, It's like and the man who shot Liberty Balance. It's one of the it's one of the best Westerns of all time. Um, yeah. Anywho. So so that's the, the, the gist of it. And. I do think it does a, a very good job of kind of navigating between being a movie about a, a a kid kind of navigating a at times tumultuous home life as well as an origin story for one of the most legendary filmmakers of all time. Um but like the the family dynamic also brings up the very disparate acting of the family and to a certain extent you can understand why but Paul Dano and Michelle Williams must have been told two completely different things because i understand you know needing to have the the manic character of the mother because that's, I assume, who Spielberg's mother was, and the more, like, reduced character of uh, of his father. But the contrast there with it, it's like they didn't see each other's performances before they started filming to know how big and small the other one was going, because the contrast is insane. It, it's Paul Dano basically withers into the background, and Michelle Williams' face might as well be against the lens, <laughs> screaming at you. And I think either one of those two, either one individually would be fine if the other one was measured to it. But in contrast to what the other one's doing, it's fucking bananas. <laughs> You're muted. Thank you. To some extent, I think the idea of having an extremely extroverted mother that completely, you know, is the powerhouse of that relationship, contrasting with, you know, someone as timid and and reserved as his father. Like, I've seen couples like that in real life. But the idea of you walking in from a long day of work, you know, inventing the computer, essentially, to have a monkey jump on you and you just be like, <laughs> what are we going to call it? Or whatever he says. It's just like that cannot have be how that occurred in real life. Like it's that, that. And it's the volume. That is just not reality. And that's what I mean, because it's there's a difference between between all. saying, um, what are we going to call it? Which which is the level to which Paul Dano delivers that line. It is. What are we going to call? He's, he whispers throughout the entire movie. What are we going to call it? Versus being like, you know, a little bit more animated of a person, but still maybe not having it within you to express quite so much. It is. It is Michelle Williams power acting her way through a performance where she's the only one kind of doing it. And that's my problem. My problem is with the Michelle Williams of it. And it felt like she was saying to herself, you know what I need? 
an Oscar nomination. I agree with you that Paul Dano can do no wrong. And even though we don't know who is at fault here, it's Michelle Williams. Because Paul always, Dano, I've seen him act in so many things that has been perfect. So, of course, it can't be him. Well, I, w- I would say that he could certainly provide, which is what I, makes me so confused about it. Like, Paul Dano plays a, a fucking loser and There Will Be Blood. But there is still an animation to that character that is right. lesser than Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, by a fuck ton, but still, like, portrays a degree of excitement while also being a complete fucking dork. And and we see that. We see that emotion, that complexity, that like layering that you expect from Paul Dano in LA at the end of the movie in their, you know, their final scene together is with his son, I think. Uh when they're in the kitchen. You see yeah. that emotion come out. You see that, you know, added just acting, not bravado, but like you see his chops come to the table there. And I just wish we saw that throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, it um, it doesn't bother me for like huge chunks of the movie. If you watch this, I don't think you'd watch every single one of Michelle Williams's lines and be like, "You're an insane person." But there, Agreed. when when those moments happen, they are like uh, Michelle Williams coming into Sammy's room after she slaps him on the back. Mm. Wow, way way too much. Like. I uh, it's, it's a lot. recall. I take your word for it. Yeah, it's okay. Um Ah oh, fuck, I was going to make a continuing point and I forget kind of what it was. Uh oh, Seth Seth Rogen is in this movie and does a fantastic job. Very shocked to see him appear. This, you know, obviously he's been branching out to uh to some extent from, you know, being Seth Rogen. Um, but yeah, like he plays a very charming, almost uh well intended, despite fucking his best or not fucking, but it, it, they don't fuck. Hmm. They are just emotionally attached. Um he he played an excellent character and you know, he is far and away the third wheel of you know, the fact that it's his parents. But he still adds, you know, just as equally deep of a role in limited time. Yeah, it was it was uh, it's one of those things that. Casting casting is so fucking important because this this is where an actor like Seth Rogen is going to thrive. The character that he played in a movie, I believe we talked about in the early goings of this podcast and American Pickle was not good. No. It was not good at all because it was trying to be too straight um, and letting the the inherent nature of the character be goofy. But then they wanted the character to be kind of serious at certain points. And Seth Rogen didn't have he's too naturally silly of a person for the serious moments to land, especially with that kind of like weird facade of a character. This character is perfect for Seth Rogen because the moments in which he needs to be serious like we know him to be capable of being a relatively serious man, and it's against the backdrop of normal Seth Rogen kind of personality that we get to see, which is a jovial guy. So when he quiets it down and, and gets a little bit more real, it it's yeah, it, it plays very well. From what we're presented as the third wheel to your parents' marriage, someone you are raised with as an uncle figure and you refer to as your uncle, yet who is someone who destroys your parents' marriage because of his role, that is someone you innately would want to just utterly hate and despise and is a true, you know, uh, you know, to a child's eyes, an evil person. But because Seth Rogen shines through as like, hey, like, I want to be here to support this family that I have been a part of for your entire life. Just because I am in love with your mother does not mean I don't also love you children and still very much respect and have love for my best friend. I, I, you know, the interaction he has with Benny where he gives him uh, the camcorder he knows that he knows they're on the same page 
but everything he says is not, you know, hey, either feel sorry for me or don't feel sorry for me. You know, this is what's best for whatever. This is what's best for you. It's like, no, like this was really complicated of a situation. I'm very sorry. I still love you. I wish you nothing but the best. And here is something that is a true gift of like, this is something that will both help you fulfill things you are trying to achieve and showing of a, you know, lifelong connection and value. Yeah, I would I mean, not have expected that if you told me a year ago, oh, Seth Rogen is going to be in this very quote unquote, you know, serious biopic of Steven Spielberg. I would have been like, well, that's a little ridiculous. I don't believe you. The guy doing boobs and fart jokes. Uh, the, the one other actor I feel like we should certainly talk about because he's nominated for an Oscar for this is Judd Hirsch, who is in uh, two scenes of this movie. One of those scenes, though, is uh, the monologue of the film. I, I I think the most talking done in the single scene um, where Judd Hirsch basically tells you what the movie is about. Um, incredibly effectively, though, that's the thing is it's like I. It rambled a little bit and like it felt like it was really hitting you over the head. Which seems on character. But I was looking at like, I fucking love Judd Hirsch. I love this version of Judd Hirsch. Like, I, I, I dig this character. I, I, I again, I feel like everything I, 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 I say praising the film, understand that it's about 80% because there's 20% where it is so masturbatory <laughs> that it's like, I, I can't give this full marks. Very, very Sorkin-esque. Yeah, it's a little bit self-indulgent and self-indulgent of your own medium, right? Or, or even your own career path in this instance, because Judd Hirsch is speaking more broadly of art as a whole. Oh, dude, I am so fucking good at making movies. Oh, everyone loved everything I've ever done. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because you know, there's clearly, it's clear there's clearly some part of Spielberg that feels the need to repent for something there. Right. That that feels like Judd Hirsch is standing in for Spielberg, old Spielberg talking to young Spielberg. And it's like, this is going to ruin your fucking life. And you know what? You're never going to stop. <laughs> You've got a problem. Like he's talking to a and you are literally going to be crowned in heaven for what you do. Oh, the epitaphs will be legendary. <laughs> I will say the one of the few things I saw going into this film was a, a tweet thread about how Judd Hirsch was nominated for a supporting role while being in like two minutes of the film and reading it. I was like, holy shit, like that's fucking ridiculous. Like we've had some incredible supporting actors in like films this year that, you know, seemingly got snubbed. How could you do that for a guy who's in it for two minutes? Like that just doesn't make any sense. And I thought of that going into the scene in uh, Sammy's bedroom where he gives the monologue. And about halfway through, I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, no, he absolutely deserves a nomination. He's probably on the short list. Okay. Good job, Academy. You got one right. Especially in what is always a very tough category. Yeah, the, uh, the, the supporting actor category is usually the most difficult category to actually like lock a win in. Uh, which makes it uh, honestly even more impressive that, that he's there. Um, this is his yeah. first Oscar nomination in 40 years. What was the last one? Ordinary People in 1980. <laughs> I guess the, the nomination was 81, but anyway. Um, it's all the same. So, would you say that there's... The, the film itself is about this form of discovery. And then, you know, there's not too, too much more to say about it. So we can we can kind of move towards wrapping up. But the film is about, I, I'd say, more so than anything else from a plot and narrative perspective, it's about uh, Sammy trying to forge the connection with his medium. Again, there's the family dynamic part of it, but that's not what makes this movie, I think, the draw i think the draw is seeing him kind of come into his own as a filmmaker uh to that effect 
how did you feel about that portion of the journey? Um, it's probably the most fun aspect of it. I mean, Spielberg is, you know, as far as talent and just overall body of work, it's hard to argue against him being, you know, if not the best, easily on the Mount Rushmore of directors, you know, during our lifetime. The greatest um, populist director of all time. Exactly. Um, so watching him just express what it was like to discover his craft is like watching Tiger Wo- Tiger Woods learn how to play golf. Like Or Tiger Woods learn how to spell. Um it it's really fun to watch. Like, yeah, it's not Steven Spielberg or yeah, like it's a bit self indulgent, but like it's a master at work. Like that's and no matter how you feel towards, you know, how he showed it, how he presented it to the world, it's really fucking cool to see. Yeah, I, I I do wish there was more struggle with it. I felt like the low point of it was not incredibly low, and it was moved on from pretty quickly. Which again, what was the I, low point? The low point was him selling his camera right before moving to Los Angeles. Okay, fair enough, yeah. Uh, yeah, he kind of falls out of love with it when he sees the danger of cinema. <laughs> that it can show him things he might not want to see. <laughs> It's one of those things again. If you're just watching the movie, it's not that bad. But when you actually start to think about what it's trying to represent, it is it is so self-indulgent. But um it you know, it's one of those things where it's like watching a 15, 16 year old kid struggle with uh embracing his medium is a medium compelling thing, unless there's a great amount of hardship that goes into it, which is what introduces the 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 ex the 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 Conflict within the medium is basically non-existent. The conflict with the medium comes from the external factor of his parents. Um, so just putting a bow on that, how did you feel about, broadly speaking, the, um, the Sammy character's relationship with the parents? We talked about the acting performances already of each of those two. Uh, I The only thing, you know, his relationship with his father, um, I really liked watching that you know, push and shove back and forth because, you know, to some extent at a very, you know, diluted level, like my father was an engineer. I grew up loving film and video games and, you know, not calculus or not algebra, like he says in the movie. Um, I kind of get the push to be like, you have to, you know, you have to work in STEM to make money and do something and make something of yourself and, and, and support a family. And it's like, no, like, Shit's fun. This, this cool shit over here. I want to do this. This is a, a much different level. I will not compare myself to Steven Spielberg, but I I enjoyed that push and pull. Um, the relationship with the mother. I feel like boy, it's it it felt weird, and I don't know how to better articulate it. One because I'm not good at articulating, and two I don't really think i know what it is that i'm kind of off put by whether it be her insane accent yeah just no michelle williams has. or sorry that really that really bothered me as a family as a man whose entire family are jews from new jersey that accent does not exist <laughs> i don't know where she thinks she's from but she did not nail it it felt almost like partially um uh what's that that cross-atlantic term for uh the transatlantic accent transatlantic yeah it felt like hints of that and that was again off-putting but um yeah i don't i don't know how to really narrow it down oh well, i i and i think this is where the writing struggles for me a little a little bit um the 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 characters i don't think are fleshed out in the way that the film wants them to be like you know, there's a scene near the end that was really confusing to watch because the the sister it's when um Sammy is editing the the film he made at the beach, and his sister's like, "Oh my God, they're getting a divorce! Can you believe it?" And he's like, "Yeah, 
Yeah, it's sad. This is how I process my feelings with film. Uh, and and um, her sister makes a passing comment. She makes two passing comments that I thought really kind of threw me off. One was, uh, you're so mad at mom. You're so mean to her. And we saw a little bit of uh, contention between them during uh, there's time in Arizona, but uh, it, it seemed as though it was a relatively passing phase. And it, that push and pull dynamic, I don't think really played as deeply as that moment wanted it to, which made it a little bit more challenging to understand kind of what you were saying, where that relationship really was. Uh, and two, she had said, you don't know how difficult it is being married to a genius, right? Maybe it's really hard on her. But that was also kind of a weird moment, too, because despite the fact that we understand Paul Dano to be very good at his job in the film, to not get enough of an idea of who that guy is, because that's a really heady concept, right, of being married mm-hmm. to not just a genius, but a, a, a genius within the biggest, most societally impactful technological advancement of the last of of everyone's lifetime. Like. I wasn't kidding when I, you know, joked about him inventing the computer. Like the Bismack was fucking a huge deal. Like that is monumental in the world of computing. Yeah, and so it, it's one of those things where it's like I, I don't know how much of this I'm supposed to internalize. And then at the end of the film, it's just like, oh yeah, he was a fucking genius. And then after the film, I'm looking it up and I'm like, oh yeah, this man has his own Wikipedia page. Like I see. But the problem with that is, like, if you're not, each parent really only exists in their relation to Sammy. And that's, that can be okay, but I think the film wants you to understand more about them than it gives you. You know, the film wants you to understand that the mother is a very accomplished pianist, which you get a very brief glimpse of so late in the movie that I you don't realize that's part of a, that's a motivation of hers, right? Like when she's playing piano with the kids in New Jersey, you don't understand that she has any, had any aspirations that get put on the shelf. And then by the time you, she's going on TV, you're like, whoa, 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 TV. Who are you? And what do you want out of life? And the problem is Spielberg never asks that question of those two people. Neither person outside of how their decisions impact Sammy neither of those characters get asked who they are which again is not a huge sin because the film is not overly concerned with it but to incorporate elements where that understanding would make those kind of those individual moments more impactful it is a little bit challenging um let's move to the end so we can get to the next one sure. the film ends with uh, an impromptu meeting between uh, Sammy Fableman and a, a eye patched Dave uh, David Lynch masquerading as um, John Ford, where he gives him some very uh, brisk advice and pushes him out the door, and then ends very uh, joyfully, almost like Looney Tunes esque, on the uh, like Fox or Warner Brothers back lot. It ends. It ends with a visual gag, which I did actually very much appreciate. Um, how did you feel about the 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 send off the 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 very joyful sun? Actually, it's a sunset, but whatever sunrise kind of feeling, um, of the end of the film. I mean, how do you how do you do better than that? John Ford screaming at you in his office, giving you like a very fun but also really well put message about filmmaking. And then perfectly, you know, emulating that in the closeout shot of the film. I thought it was like for a movie that is truly a love letter to film and what it can do. That has to be one of the best ways to end it, right? Like just a fun little closeout like that, a little cameo of sorts to kind of really give all the like the people that are going to go back and watch this a bunch are people that fucking love Steven Spielberg. Otherwise it's a whatever film. And they, they are going to absolutely adore that John fucking Lynch, David Lynch, John Ford. I am. Okay. 
is playing. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I I I will say, um, seeing David, it it is such a joy seeing David Lynch, especially because he directs so few movies. It, like, there's so little availability to him, um, these days. Like, I think his last film he directed was Inland Empire, and that was 2006. So. To see him is always very, very fun. But uh, yeah, it was a, a gorgeous little movie. Uh, let's let's give it a, a final rating review. I, I started, so I guess I'll start here. Um, if you are an Oscars completionist, this is not a hard one to watch. This goes down real smooth. It's a real easy two and a half hours. It does not drag its feet. Um, it is a navel gazy film. You, you you'll be watching something that is a little bit self-indulgent, but at the same time, it comes part and parcel with making a movie about movie making and with a man writing and directing his own biopic of sorts. So uh, however much self-indulgence you would expect from this movie, yeah, you're probably going to get it. But at the same time, it's the best version of itself. I think it can be. So uh, yeah, all that to say, Three, three and a half, three and a half stars for this. Um, I'll give it a four. I don't know why, but I, I've been thinking for this whole time. It, it's fun. It's sweet, charismatic. It's definitely not on the short list of Steven Spielberg films, which actually does bring me up one final point. Do you want to take a guess? I have uh, Steven Spielberg's filmography up in front of me. Which every time I look at it, I'm shocked about some of the names that are on there that I never would have in a million years guessed were Steven Spielberg. What do you think the last Steven Spielberg film I saw in theaters was? And what was the last film I saw for the first time knowing it was Steven Spielberg? Oh, that was, Two a, questions. Really, that was a really confusing question. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the then just answer the first you one. saw in theaters... The last Steven Spielberg film I saw. Okay. Well, you like like me do not enjoy going to the theaters unless we have to. So I'm going to say you did not see like Ready Player One. Um, Utterly shocked that he directed that film. Which, I, whatever, that's its own discussion someday. Well, he 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 is the consummate. Um, Populist filmmaker, and it was a very popular book. It, it, it all makes sense. Uh, Lincoln, I'll say Lincoln. Uh, no, Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You are the most disappointing person. <laughs> I was fucking eleven. Relax. Wait, you haven't been to the film to 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 the theater since since what, that to see what? a Spielberg movie. Okay, since graduating high school in 2015, my options have been The Big Friendly Giant, The Post, Ready Player One, or West Side Story. What of those is driving me to the theater? I mean, I, I saw Lincoln in theaters, I saw Bridge of Spies in theaters, and I saw The Failments in theaters. Um, I saw War Horse at some point. Um. I don't know if that was in theaters. By the way, I uh, didn't see Lincoln until fucking college. Fun fact about it: uh, Bridge of Spies, uh, I think, is loosely based upon part of his dad, Stephen Spielberg's dad's life. I, I think he was like involved in that. For I've read something about how like Spielberg's dad's life and Bridge of Spies are somehow loosely intertwined. There, there's no yeah. character I think playing his dad in there, but like I think that part of all that happened at the same era. It doesn't matter. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's I all I got. It was. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to to Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, the film was directed by Dean Fleischer Camp. The film was written by Dean Fleischer Camp, Jenny Slate, and Nick Pally. Um, the film has an estimated budget of uh six point three million dollars, and I see a cumulative worldwide gross of six point five million dollars so it has earned its money back um the film does not have a tagline which is a okay not always needed um oh the film stars completely skip that part jenny slate dean fleischer camp and isabella rosalini speaking of david lynch movies 
We're, this is now our second Isabella Rossellini film um, as she played the jazz singer in Blue Velvet. Um, so very funny to compare and contrast the two Isabella Rossellini films that we've done of Blue Velvet and Marcel the Shallow Shoes on. Um, very different movies. We're talking about this film because it is nominated for one Oscar. It is nominated for Best Animated Feature Film for Dean Fleischer Camp, Elizabeth Holm, Andrew Goldman, Caroline Kaplan, and Paul Mezzi. Uh, the film is about, it is a feature adaptation of the animated short film interviewing a mollusk named Marcel. Uh, Corwin, I started the last one, so you're up. Um, my interest in this film was based solely off of the collectible figurine that A24 sells, and I saw on Twitter. I had no idea what it was. I Wait, just saw really? It. Yeah, I had no idea what it was. I just saw it and was like, well, that's fucking weird. I wonder what that could be from. And then I saw that Marcel the Shell with Shoes on was a stop motion animated feature. Um, and a very popular like, YouTube series for a long time. It was an actual series? Oh, yeah. That, that's how Jenny Slate's career got started. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, no, this um, is a real, like, when they show the, the YouTube videos in the movie, oh those are God. the real YouTube videos that they made, like, I mean, going back 10, 15 years. I was about to go on this whole fucking tangent of, like, I thought this was an adorably, just unbelievably loving film that I just don't get why they had to shoehorn, like, YouTube into this. But that makes so much fucking sense for why it would even be a part of this. Um <laughs> I really love this. This was like really I watched this like by myself, just like sitting on the couch on my laptop, just kind of like, yeah, all right, I'm watching this. You know, wasn't paying too much attention. And then just became like enthralled with like, this is just a really adorable little shell. I wonder how he's going to get those nuts down from the tree. Oh my god. He attaches a string to a uh a dough mixer. That's great stuff. Wow. I just had a lot of fun with it. Um, I I really didn't expect to get emotionally attached to a motherfucking shell wearing shoes, but uh, tears flowed during this, which is always always a big positive when we talk movies. I like emotions, <laughs> and they seldom come out. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I was not a devotee of the YouTube series, but I had seen a few episodes when like my high school girlfriend was really into it. And so I had seen a few back then um, and had not checked in. Uh, so this was kind of a, a weird little like trip. Um, hold, it's hold, an adorable hold on, movie. Hold on. <laughs> Having seen the YouTube video, like what were you expecting out of this? Like well, that's the thing. A movie Is... based off of a YouTube channel. Well, and a YouTube channel, there's no plot to the YouTube series was a vehicle for jokes. The YouTube series is basically just one liners. It, it is it is set up punchline. That's hmm. it. With the joke always being some kind of idea of I am a shell. Isn't that hilarious? Or I am very small. Isn't that hilarious? Right. It's basically like. Clifford the Big Red Dog, but as a YouTube channel, which every Clifford the Big Red Dog joke is just that dog is so big and true. red. That's true. Yeah. Can't but fit like, in that doghouse. He's massive. And he, he's <laughs> going to help out the fire squad. Um. So I, I had no fucking clue how they're going to make a movie out of it because there's no there's no through line. Right. And it's also at an interesting point. Where like we're, we've seen now many YouTube series become broader like uh, cable series is broad city my favorite show started off as a youtube series uh high maintenance on hbo which is a great show started Agreed. off as a youtube miniseries um like it's not an uncommon thing this going straight from youtube series to movie is also very interesting because it really it doesn't have that um that basis right like the, the grandma character is new the community of other shells is new Right. These are these are not aspects that existed in the YouTube channel. So a lot of writing went into this that from 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 scratch. And it's fucking adorable. 
It it's it's just it's it's fucking ador- it is an hour and a half of looking at Jenny Slate play a shell. That's just a really cute fucking shell that has like certain concepts of the world and lacks other ones. Um the film definitely feels like a vehicle for some degree of societal introspection, you know, like Marcel is learning about community and learning about how to uh, what it means to have family and to have friends and to lose those people and to rekindle those connections and how big the world is outside of the home, right? You know, uh, understanding how big what's what fucking city were they in again? They in Ohio. Uh, I don't know. Because I remember, like, I want to say it was like New Mexico or like Arizona. I, I well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want to say it's like not somewhere like um. Like industrious, I don't think. They, yeah, they were it was, like I thought it was LA. like Albuquerque or something like that. I don't know. Oh, you know what? No, I bet they were in Massachusetts because these two are from Massachusetts. I I don't see it. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that it's Massachusetts. Um, these are Massachusetts people. So, regardless, like, you know, Marcel being brought up to the top of a hill to look over a certain portion of the, um town and not and having to understand that oh you can't see all of it and not only that but what you can see you can't see inside of anything and even if you could the thing you're looking for is so itty bitty teeny tiny that you will never actually find it um and it's also kind of neat because (laughs) to see a character face so much failure it's los angeles it is la I thought it was somewhere like way more low key. I guess LA is gigantic and does have more low key parts to it. Um, anywho, please continue. To see a character go through so much failure of ideas and uh, things constantly kind of not working out for it, but for it to always be adorable is a very well, adorable and also poignant is is a very difficult thing. There is just such a high level of innocence and childlike wonder that I don't think, at least I don't recall seeing in, you know, something so, I don't know how else to put this, but non-human. Like, yeah, there's been plenty of animated movies. Some have gotten, you know, very very close to um i don't want to say uncanny valley but like in the emotions you feel like they feel very real very you know human like even if they aren't necessarily people but to get that same you know emotional reaction from an inanimate object for all intents and purposes is um it it surprised me i wouldn't say it shocked me but my goodness, like that really goes to show just how well written this is and how well uh, they were able to express with stop motion photography. And it's funny. The jokes, Absolutely. The jokes work. The <laughs> So Isabella Rossellini, an Italian actress, has an Italian accent when speaking English, and they address it in the movie. By saying, "Oh yeah, she's from the garage. She, she she came here in uh in the man's pockets one day. That's how her people got here. <laughs> like Which the little shit like that was so good. The visual gags of like when uh when Marcel and uh, um Dean's character go off on the 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 car ride and, and Marcel mm-hmm. brings Isabella Rossellini the the water it is literally it's like two individual drops of water that's a great mm-hmm. it's a great joke that's it's a very funny joke the rope that he makes and Dean's like oh oh where did you get rope like wow a shell making rope on his own to do things that's incredible oh it's pubic hair oh Oh, oh, I find these little curly ones down here at the bottom. Yeah, I'm just honestly, even the fact that they watch 60 minutes and Dean's like 60 minutes, and she's like, "Yeah, we watch 60 minutes so much, we just call it the show." <laughs> oh God, what was the name of the? That's uh, so stupid. It's the great host. Show. 
Oh, um, Leslie Stahl. Oh, Leslie Stahl. Yes, Leslie Stahl. It's like, really? <laughs> but then, but then to, to what you were saying earlier, they tie that back to when Marcel is 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 mourning the the lack of community. He's saying like, oh, there's no one around to watch sixty minutes. <laughs> But it's like that hits you. They hit you a little bit, you know. Yeah, like they played absolutely. it serious. Oh, uh, it it was. I watched this alone, and Quinn came home right as I was finishing up, and I very much wanted to just like sit here down and, and be like, "Hey, I need you to watch this. You're gonna hate it for the first twenty minutes because it's it's a shell. Yeah, like we're gonna get past that point, but like I need you to watch this because of how fucking adorable it is." That's the thing. It does that. That first twenty minutes is interesting, um, because there's no plot yet, and it takes its time kind of getting into it. Like you don't learn the plot of the movie for a good like fifteen twenty minutes, which for a ninety minute movie is a, is a pretty big chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really subsists off of just being fucking cute. And then with the second you're like, oh, okay, like this is cute, but this, I need a movie. Then go, ah, yeah, my whole family's missing. <laughs> um, which so I guess let's talk about the plot of the movie. Um, so Dean Fleischer camp, it, it, it kind of like precedes the YouTube channel, it's a prequel and a sequel. <laughs> it, it, it introduces Dean Fleischer camp's character before making the YouTube series and then makes the YouTube series, I guess, and then picks up after the YouTube series has had success so that they can then go and enter into the main part of the the plot, which is to go find the community of shells, which got broken up in a divorce. Um, Which was very sad. It's also interesting because for some, some background on, on the film, there's three divorces involved in this movie. (laughs) There's the, the divorce between the couple that lived in the home that, you know, got the the shells broken up with them. There's Dean Fleischer Camp's character's divorce, which is what leads him to renting out the Airbnb. But this show is also how Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp met. They were married for a long time, and they are also divorced. And so the idea that divorce is such a through line in the film for made by a divorced couple is kind of an interesting. It is. It's kind of interesting to to. Uh, have that information but also lack the interiority to understand what bits of the film are maybe the two of them working through it a little bit if if any there might be none wow wow um i knew he looked familiar and i didn't know what and i'm now looking in my uh his filmography i should say and i realized he probably just looks familiar because i haven't seen any of this he might just be a guy. Yeah, he's probably he's got one of those just faces. a guy. I apologize um, for stealing those thirty seconds. No, that's fine. I do. I do like. Um, there's a point made in the film about the difference between uh, types of attention. The film draws the difference between viewers and community, and Marcel mm-hmm. expresses disappointment in uh, having people come by to the house but aren't necessarily helpful. Uh, which is. Not to say it's like such a wild point, nothing that's been considered, but it feels like, you know, we've seen several of these instances in, in films as the advent of viral Internet success has become much more commonplace, where the Internet community comes to save the day and you get some really shitty montage of, of uh, people being, you know, posting Instagram lives of trying to actually help. And this film's like, no. No, they 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 didn't. Um, yeah. they they weren't malicious. They didn't go the other way. They weren't like horribly bad. They were annoying. Yeah, but the real issue with it isn't the lack of help or the the attainment of help. It's the lack of community to it, which is a, a very nice like uh, subtle point to be making. Um, and poignant because yeah, that's exactly how I would almost expect the internet to react. Wow, let's go get some clout going to this internet video's house. Um, oh, it's a shame you can't find your family though. Good luck with that. Um, man, I this show or this movie did such a great job of taking 
like really serious topics of, you know, divorce, community, you know, friendships and, and the value that they bring to your life and really making it work for both adult and child audiences. And I know that's not something that's new or unique to this film. Like it's been done in animated films seemingly every couple of years forever. Like that's just kind of their niche that they do. Like you got to attract the kids. You got to attract the parents. Boy, it's got to be enjoyable for both to really be a, a barn burner. Um, but the it it felt so much more genuine in this, and I don't know why. Granted, I'm not watching a whole lot of children's movies anymore. Excuse me, but not yet. Not yet. <laughs> this is really just a break in the child films. Yeah. Um, it it felt really genuine and and it felt earnest and i really enjoyed that this is something where oh what am i trying to fucking say like i felt like i was heavily invested in ensuring that marcel learned the right lessons through all this despite him being an incredibly fictional character in a film that i am watching I know the film ends. It's obviously released. He's a talking shell, but I want it. I need him to learn that the world is good and good things happen to those who try. And he did. He learned it. I don't, you know, that, that point and, and, and specifically the, the bit about the film working for kind of the, the broad range of, of ages, uh, it really shows in the ending, you know, so everyone gets back together that, yeah, that's all great. There's a lovely scene of everybody like skating on the dust on on the on the coffee table. They 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 bury the grandmother who who passes along earlier in the film, um, and then Marcel and Dean kind of like reconnect for this moment at the end. And Marcel's like, sometimes I go into the laundry room, um, just to, uh, just just to be alone. And I go up on the the windowsill and I, by the open window, and I let the the wind blow through my my shape, and it makes a sound. And then they create that, which which is uh, you know takes a little bit of of, of time. There, there's a build up to it, a, a small creating of, of of tension as you kind of wait for the sounds to to come through. And the film ends quite literally on that note. Um, and it's it's a profound little moment. It 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 encapsulates the the idea of you know understanding how small and insignificant we are in the broader scope of of life in, in the broader scope of society I, I mean incorporating the idea of elements make shows how small you are in the broad scheme of of the the, the physically known universe but also it's like fucking I'm a little shell making sounds and shit you know what I mean like it, it takes also no understanding at all. You know, mm -hmm. like you can truly read into the moment as much or as little as you want to. And you're right. And that that's a difficult thing to do with sincerity, without corniness um, and with with a sense of childish delight. It, it, the film does that throughout very well. 100 percent with you. Uh, I guess final ratings and reviews on this guy. Um Unless there's anything else, anything major else you wanted to talk about with him. Um, the figurines sell for $30, which is quite the ripoff. Do they but come with I the shoes have, on or do you have to buy the shoes? Separately? No, no, the shoes come with it. Um, and I have to admit, I, I, I sat with it just as an open tab for a while, just kind of thinking. I won't be getting it, but boy. It's on sale. All right. All right. What would you do with it? Genuinely, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't like knickknacks. I hate them. But I want like one to just put somewhere. Honestly, I think you like giving the really dog a bone. Fun... Fuck off. I think I would have a lot of fun with just like putting him in different places around the house. So an elf on the shelf? Situation? Yeah, like an just like fucking opening up blinds one day or like moving a pillow and he's just like 
right there on the mantle or something similar. That'd be fun. Oh, hey, Marcel. Getting out and about today, I see. Hell yeah. You could bring him with you to watch the YouTube series now. This movie awakened a little bit of uh, childlike wonder in me, and I want to go back to playing with dolls and having an imagination. I, too, want to remember what it feels like to be very small. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Uh, well, so final ratings and reviews, uh, you, you you kick it off here. Uh, I finished watching it, and I was like, wow, like that was, you know, as a whole, that was much better than I, not expected, but would expect from, you know, what this is. Uh, this is a four. This is a really solid four. And when you texted me earlier today about what time we were recording, I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably end up being like a, a four and a four. Sure. And then now I'm sitting here talking about it and I'm getting like gleeful thinking about that little fucking shell just wandering around in a tennis ball. And it's just. I haven't felt that glee towards like a stupid little movie like that in a while, so I'm going to give it a four and a half. I will be going back and watching this multiple times this is a fun movie yeah i'm i'm giving this a solid four i have no real justification um in any which way but i i thought it was just i thought it was lovely i um look forward to seeing how it fares uh within the the oscars but i hope to also come back to this at some point in the future uh because this was a, this was a cute one i was a fan oh yeah not all movies need to be extremely serious no i wish less were yeah, this one knew what it was about. Uh, all right. Uh, next week, next week's picks. Uh, we have two films left to knock out uh, before we can round out having seen all of the Best Picture nominees, and then we'll start tackling some of the other categories where we are uh, missing individual films. Uh, but uh, the the two films needed to, to round out that category are uh, Women Talking and Triangle of Sadness. Um, so check those out before the next show, uh, or don't, um, before we fully wrap up, I gotta say, I have been watching a ridiculous amount of movies lately as I have been trying to churn through all of the films in sight and sounds critics poll, the top 100, um, because there's, there's a lot of foreign films I hadn't seen. A handful of American ones, but no, I've never seen The Third Man. Uh, and I'm almost done. I have three movies left. I oh. highly recommend it. If you have the time or the means. I highly recommend it as an exercise. I've seen some experimental short films I never otherwise would have looked into. I've seen some movies I definitely didn't care about which is also fine they don't have to all you don't have to like them all um but it has been such an interesting exercise in flexing some some uh creative muscle and um has done quite a number on what it means to watch a movie for me in a way that i have come to very much so appreciate i say this also on the back of completing about three cumulative hours of sleep and having watched the remaining five hours of Shoah. So I've now, over the last two days, watched nine and a half hours of a Holocaust documentary that has uh, broken me down on the inside. Um, but I'm also extremely grateful for the having the reason to do it. And if you are a fellow completionist in, in, when it comes to film lists, uh, whether that be awards or, or critic lists or whatever, um, you will feel the need. I'd never felt the need to watch Shoah knowing what it was until I saw that it was on this list because I wanted to watch all 100 of them. Um, I'm fucking grateful that I did. And I can say that now about a lot of these fucking movies. Um, yeah, I, I am I highly recommend. I'm very envious of the ability for you to do that. And that's the big limitations. I have the ability to do it as a work from home person. But uh, yeah, if if there is the the means and the ability, it is a worthwhile endeavor. Sight and Sound actually for the first time just uh, expanded their list out to 250 and released Whoa. the additional 150 films after that first 100 
literally like yesterday or two days ago. I think it was yesterday. Have you finished it yet? Of those 150 films, I have not seen 120 of them. Good. So I have uh, work ahead Good. of me. And you know what? Be a busy thrilled. year. Thrilled about it. Hell yeah. Do you have like a list going or like a spreadsheet? Like, yeah. Tracking both what you watch, what you think of it, like rankings at all. No, I because I, I find that I never keep up with it. I've tried like rating on IMDb for a while, and I tried doing Letterbox. But the problem is, I I never. And once I like forget for a handful of movies, and and I feel like, oh well, then this is already wasted. Yes, <laughs> you know, like if I'm not doing it, then I'm just not going to do it. But I do have a uh, I do have a list for keeping on top of this specific task of all the films that I haven't watched and the director and the year and where to find them. So I, I can just keep a, a running list of you know what I what what's left to get through. So in 2019, before COVID hit, when I was like living on my own and had lots of you know excess income. I would go to the movies like every week and I kept a list that year, like of the rankings after I would go watch them where they sit on this rankings. And I love going back to it. 2019 was one of the best years for film in the past, like 20 years. I fucking love all of them. And I hate that I haven't done it once since. And I've started the list like three times and I've just never kept up to it. Kept up with it. Like you've said, and I really hate that I have. I had the same thought heading into doing doing this when when I when I first started on the 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 first round of films that I hadn't seen of the sight and sound list. I was like, this is the perfect excuse to really like hunker down on like making my letterbox thing a thing. And then you just I don't know, I just kind of forgot, and I'm like, ah, oh, do I go back? And then I'm like, ah, I don't feel like it. Um. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying like don't do it or I'm not even saying that I won't go back and try starting again. I might, but I have always had such a hard time with it. I'm with you. Anyway, sight and sound does good stuff. Check out yeah. that list. Go watch Hell those yeah. movies. Yes, I will. Weird. All right, uh Corbin, anything else before we get out of here? Uh no. Alright, well, if you would like to follow the show. On Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juiceinthebigscreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. And if you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And until next time, y'all have a good one. Bye.